0: Last weekend we had Heart for Orphans that came in, Uh, Nancy and Steve Hathaway who are right here live in Williamsburg and launched that ministry uh, that's active in the Ukraine that we're going to be partnering with as a church. And then uh, this past fall you might remember that I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic. So a good friend of mine, uh, pastor of Freedom Life Church in uh, Hampton, Virginia, Freddie Villarreal called me up and said, hey, uh, there's a family in our church that want to uh, to take some area pastors uh, on this trip to the Dominican Republic because they are involved with an organization called Food for the Hungry and uh, would you be interested in going and I said absolutely and so they took a team of pastors down and uh, that's when I met uh, Brianna and, and Francisco and they're going to be sharing a little bit in just a moment and so they introduced us to this amazing organization that we have fallen in love with as a church and so one, you know one of the, our experiences while we were there is you know we're out in the middle of, of nowhere. Uh a lot of the communities that we went to, as you're gonna see on the map they show was on the on the border of Haiti. And so you're on the way out there, right? There's you know, there's no Wawa that you can stop at, right? There's not a, a Walmart that you can pull into. Uh, but it you're you know we're going down this this road and you're in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden this clearing there's this this large parking lot and this cinder block building that was a market that was out there that people could come to and it was kind of a stopover for travelers and so we got out we had woken up early that morning and so the sun was coming up as we were driving and so we all kind of wander into this this little cafe area and and they have all of this delicious food right all you can just you can you know they're they're just serving up you can smell all the it's just it's amazing right and so we have no idea what any of the food is, though. So, right? And so, so what we would do is we, were, we would go and we're looking at it, you know, in the, it's got in all the, the warming dishes. And we would stand there when we were interested in something. And then we would all do this. And we were looking because Francisco was over here and he'd be going like this. And then we knew that's not safe to eat, right? And so we'd move on. We'd find something else that we would like and, and we're waiting for him to go, right? And then we'd say, okay, I'll take. I'll take whatever that is. We'll take we'll take some of that. So I'm telling you that story because when we got back from that trip, the, the, I, I shared with our leadership team, you know, I really felt like this was a, a, an organization that we should really take a look at. And so what we began to do as a leadership team is stand in front of Food for the Hungry in a place of prayer. And what we were looking for was the Holy Spirit to give us the knot. Because there's lots of organizations that we can get involved with that are doing amazing things. But we want to be involved with the organizations that God is asking us to partner with. And so everybody on the governance team just felt a resounding sense of the Holy Spirit just giving us the nod. This is one that I've called you to be a part of. And so soon after that, I called up Francisco and said, would you come in February? We're starting a new tradition with having a missions emphasis. And would you introduce this organization that you've fallen in love with and now we've fallen in love with. One of the things we like about these weekends is that the Hathaways are just a family that lives here in Williamsburg. They're just a family just like us. God spoke to the heart. You can get it on the podcast and hear this amazing story of how it began with adoption and now they have discipleship homes all throughout the Ukraine. And it's the same way with the Vega. They're a family just like us that lives here on the peninsula, and and that that work in this community, raising their family in this community. They're not connected with Food for the Hungry. They're not employees of the Food for the Hungry. They don't get any financial benefit. They just love what this organization is doing, and now that passion, it's contagious, and I know that by the end of this morning, you're going to be passionate about it as too. So could you give them a warm City Life welcome as they come?
1: It's great to be here, we feel so honored and privileged to be able to speak with you guys today and share a little bit about our experience in um, the Dominican Republic. And this is, I'll let you go first.
2: <laughs> Good morning, I appreciate the time to speak with you. I was surprised when Fred called me, I was sort of known as the Vegas, the family of crazies, fruit and nuts, but <laughs> he, he was not deterred by that. So he, he still issues us an invitation. I just wanna thank you in the name of Brianna, Daniel, Joshua, and Gabriel, my my three boys, for the opportunity to actually speak with you. I, I have to confess as a disclaimer that neither Brianna and I have a lot of missions experience. And in fact, for that matter, we don't have a lot of formal training in missions either. So when I come and speak with you, I speak as one of you who may stand from the chair and come and talk. As someone who's actually thinking about missions, thinking about what does it really means for me. So I don't come with you with great cloud and you know, with a wealth of experience of what Brianna and I have actually done. Uh, what we would like to do is share with you what are some of the important reasons why we got involved in missions for you to consider about doing this. And to talk about one specific organization that for us among many has actually served as a good way to spend our resources to actually pursue the call to mission that we all gon- that we all actually have. Uh, as Fred said, we don't have a franchise with Food for the Hungry. <laughs> I don't get a coupon to go to Chick Fil A or go to <laughs> Panera. I don't get 25 cents every time you know a kid gets sponsored. But it was it's been a useful organization for us again to think about doing mission work. Um, uh, Again, you need to consider what you're going to do. You need to consider if you're actually called to sort of be in missions. Uh, what I would like to do, uh, you know, and, and the reason you need to do that is because, you know, you're going to spend your time. You're going to spend your money. Uh, so, so these are thoughts that you have to, have to come to grips with. And you have to come to grips with in, in prayer, in actually inviting the spirit. What is he telling you in your life? What I would like to do is share with you what are sort of five reasons why for Brianna and my family and I have actually been useful to be involved in missions. If I could have the first slide, please. The first one is because um, Jesus has commanded us to do it. You know, if you look at the book of Matthew at the end in the last chapter, as Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples in the entire world. I actually like how he elaborates, Luke elaborates the same concept in the first chapter of the book of Acts. When he actually said, in the context of the disciple asking the question, when are these things are going to come? When is your kingdom going to come? Well, Jesus turns the answer a little bit and he says to them, it is not for you to know when the kingdom is coming. But let me tell you three things. One, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go make disciples in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And by the way, as you go and do that, I want you to know that I will empower to actually do it. I think there's actually three ideas that you can come to grips in this proclamation by Christ. One, if you care about the kingdom— if you care about the kingdom, if you care about the kingdom moving, your call is to actually is to spread the words. Yeah. Okay? Because I was, they were asking, when is your kingdom coming? He said, if you care about it, go spread the word. The second thing is, when you think about spreading the word, think in concentric circles of influence. Yeah. See, he asked you to spread the word okay. in your family members, perhaps your spouse, your children. Move the kingdom values in that immediate circle. Yeah. Among your friends, among your neighbors, among your distant family, among the people you have hobbies with, those folks that you play sports, okay? Think about even across town, across the state, and even think around the world. So he's calling you to actually do it to those that are close to you and to those that are actually distant from you. And let it be known you're not alone. He's not expecting you to do this out of the goodness of your heart out of your strength, out of your sense of duty. But he has said to you, I will empower you to actually do this. Mm -hmm. The second reason we like to do missions, next slide, is because he set an example for us. You see, Paul in Corinthians asks us and tells us that we have the man of Christ. So if we have the man of Christ, we're actually going to act like he did. Okay? And he set an example for us. In fact, in the Gospels, in two occasions, one he sends 12. In another occasion, he sent 72 and he said, I want you to go and I want you to spread the good news of the gospel. I want you to go and heal those who are sick, to cast out uh, unclean spirits, uh, to preach repentance. Okay? My favorite, however, is because he himself took the most expensive mission trip. You see, God came across the universe, he left. His palace, he left his kingdom in heaven, and he actually said, I am coming to minister to these ones, okay? And, and and of course, you know that he paid a huge price because it was through his blood that now we can actually enter into the presence of the Father. So he took a mission trip that was very expensive. So I am too cold to do it because he's actually uh, set an example. Now, one of the things that moves me, and this is something I want to read from uh, um you know, the book of John, it wasn't just to be able to have peace with God. In the book of John, in the chapter 14, as he's actually spending his last few hours with the disciples, it's actually a very interesting chapter. You might want to read it. There's almost a sense of urgency as he's actually telling him the last instructions. I am leaving soon. I want to let some things clearly down for you. And he sets these words to them. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. So we're not just called to have peace and have relation with God. We're called to be in intimacy with him. If you have known him and if you value that, think about the opportunity that you have to call others to be in intimacy with him as well. Mm -hmm. The third thing, the third reason, if I could have the next slide, is because God loves the poor. He loves the downcasts. He loves ho- those who are actually in need. Sometimes they don't even have to be poor. You can think of the history of the centurion, the Roman centurion who was in need because his, his child's fallen sick. You can think about the history of Zacchaeus who was a man of means, but he knew that what he had was actually not enough. God has always have hard it hard for those who actually need. In fact, when he's actually uh, telling the, the the newly formed nation of Israel, he tells them in the book of Deuteronomy, I did not call you because you were big. In fact, you were among the smallest of all nations. But because I love you, I have actually called you. So he has, he has this incredible heart for those who actually need. There are two stories from the Old Testament that, to me, actually stray this point. One is the history of Hagar. As you know, Hagar was a servant of Sarah, which was a wife of Abraham. And it comes a time in their relationship that was not going very well. So he actually flees her, her, um, her master. When she goes into the desert, she has a son named Ishmael, who's about to die. So she's sitting in the desert. He puts the son at a distance because he doesn't want to hear the cries of his baby, of his son, as he's about to die. It says there that the angel of the Lord came and appeared to her and spoke to her. Now, what is very interesting is that many theologians call this a theophany. A theophany is the appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is the first appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, think about it. He appeared to a woman who is a slave, who is an Egyptian, and possibly likely a pagan. God decided to make his appearance from Jesus in the least of this, okay? Um, I could think of the donkey in the Valium story as being less than that. But but certainly, this is a story where he wants to reach for those who are at the bottom. The second story is actually a story uh, quoted by Jesus. Uh, There was a time when the prophet Elijah is actually commissioned by God to talk to the nation of Israel, to bring judgment to the nation. And he tells Elijah, because there was a famine and a drought in the land, he said, you need to go, go to the land of Sidon, which is actually on the east of Israel, and you're going to live now with the widow. Um, Imagine what the neighbors thought, but that's another story. (laughs) So he goes and lives with the widow, and at one point in the story, the son of the widow dies. So she goes to the prophet. Say, hey, you! You come to me. Have you come to bring me sort of destruction, grief to my household? So in three occasions, God pleads. Elijah pleads with God, and the life of the child is restored. Now this is the first time that there's resurrection seen in the Old Testament, and the resurrection happens to the son of a widow. And in those times, there were no Social Security, there were no IRAs, no trust funds. So if you were a widow, you were actually pretty much dispossessed unless you have family that would help you. So for this widow, he loses his son. God shows up in the form of the resurrection. An image to come, God saying, I have the power over death. And he he chose to show it in a widow who is a Gentile outside the nation of Israel. OK, Jesus actually, by the way, Jesus quote this story later on, not only about the widow, but he also quotes a story in the same context of Naaman, who was a general in the army of Syria, who was the enemy of Israel, that he chooses to heal. So God has always been in the business of reaching to the outsiders. If he set that example for me, I, I want to follow him because, as I said, we have been called to have the man of Christ. There are two more reasons I want to share with you, and these are perhaps you may think about more selfish. And to be honest with you, I actually didn't think about this until actually when my first went to my one of my first mission trips and I came back. You know, the first one is because he wants to bless you. So let me read from you one of my favorite chapters, and this is actually in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 58. He writes. Why have you fasted and you cannot see me? Why have you be humble? Our, why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. It, it is a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself. It is for bowing one's head like a reed and for speaking out sackcloth and ashes as a bed. Will you call this a fast, even a day acceptable to the Lord? It is not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the hands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. It is not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house. When you see the naked, to cover him And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break out like the dawn. And your recovery will speedily spring forth. And your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. By the way, the expression here I am, this is the same expression the book opens with when God calls from the heaven and said, who will bring my message? Isaiah, as a servant, respond, here I am. So this is God now saying to you, if you bring forth the justice of my kingdom, I will answer you as I am serving you. What kind of a God does that? I want that God in my life. So when I think about doing missions, okay, I think God has that for me. The last reason and f- and, and fifth one is because, to be honest with you, when you do missions, when you do, when you move his kingdom, you go and you find him. Let me give you two examples of that. One comes from the minister of Moses. Moses was a missionary. He actually met God at the age of 80 when he was in the, in the outside of Mount Sinai, in the burning bush, as you know the story. And then he was commissioned to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Okay? It is said uh, in the book of Exodus That he used to go in the tent of the tabernacle and talk to God as a man talks to his friend. And when he will descend from Mount Sinai, one of the things that will happen to him is his face will shine. In fact, it will shine to the point that the people say, Hey, man, you got to put a veil. We, We cannot look at you. It was not possible for Moses to speak and be in the presence of God without him being changed. When you go, when you spread his news, when you move his kingdom, however you would do it, it is not possible to do it without him changing you. The other reason is because he speaks and he shows himself when you get close to him. There's a wonderful example in the book of Kings. Again, the ministry of Elijah. He goes out upon the promptings of God to bring judgment to the nation of Israel. At one point, things go really bad, so he's actually fleeing for his life, Okay? He ends up in the sand, Mount Sinai where actually Moses came down with a shining face. And he's talking to God and said, what's happening? You know, I've done all this stuff. I've gone on my mission trip. What's happening? What things are going wrong? Now, God doesn't exactly answer the question to him, but he does this. First, he shows up in this. First, there's this burning fire coming across then an incredible earthquake, then a hurricane, but God was not in, those, in any of those three events. Now, it was interesting because these were images of the judgment to come both to the nation of Israel and to the nation of Judah. So he uses his picture to tell, I hear you, this is what I'm going to do. But God was in the small wind that would speak to Elijah's heart. You see, this is great. God is already telling Elijah, I know you asked me this question, but I want to reveal something about me to you. It is not the big judgment that I'm after. Yes, I'm able to execute this, and I will do this because I'm a righteous God. But I'm more interested in speaking to you. I want to move in the spirit. So four five hundred years before, he was already telling Elijah what his nature is. This is what I'm going to do. So when I think about missions, I think about doing missions because I want to follow his example, because he commanded me, because I want to have his mind, because I want him to bless me, and because I want to find him as well. You need to decide in what way you're going to do missions. You know, this is between you and the Lord. For us, we just want to present you an opportunity. Um, we have actually one of the venues for us to actually work with Food for the Hungry, and Brianna is going to talk a little bit more.
1: So Francisco got all the fun part. I get the really <laughs> practical stuff. So uh, Food for the Hungry, just so you learn a little bit about this organization, was established in 1971, and it started out as a disaster relief organization. And then it began. they began to see that there was a desperate need for more sustainable community development so when they went into these communities they would initially help with a disaster and that's how they ended up in about 30 different communities around the globe and the closest one to us happens to be the Dominican Republic Mm -hmm. Um, so our church um, also like you has made the decision to get involved with food for the hungry and partner with them and um, basically um, what we're partnering with is with the community development aspect of their organization So um, basically what they do is they target, uh, well, they they look at poverty as a spiritual condition. It's not just a physical condition because a lot of organizations have come in and they've thrown money at the problem of poverty, and it helps for a little while, and it's great, but It doesn't sustain a community. It doesn't help them to learn to help themselves. And so Food for the Hungry, along with many other organizations, has completely changed the way they do community development to make it a sustainable commitment it's a Christian organization, so it's based on biblical values. They start with just beginning generational change. They target children for their outreach efforts for evangelism, and then they work up to the families, to the parents. And, um, and it really is a partnership. They come in. They um, I'll pause for the next one. Oh, I'm going to show you a little video. Can you click one more time and it, it should go. It's just a good illustration. we were watching this, I just realized, you know, even Jesus himself couldn't solve our problems until he got down and walked with us. And uh, praise God that he sends his spirit to walk with us too every day. So um, just for the practical aspects, what happens is a church or a group will adopt an impoverished community. And for our church, it's a village of Carmonial. And um, what they'll do is for a period of time, usually it's a 10-year time period, they make a commitment to sponsor children. And what happens is they'll they'll get a packet like the ones you have here, and you will be able to have a, a relationship with that child. You'll write them, they'll write you back, they'll tell you what's going on in their life. And not only that, but the neat thing is that Some children in that village might not be adopted or sponsored, but they will still benefit from all of the programs that take place because of your sponsorship. So even if half the children are sponsored, all the children will be invited to participate in weekly programs where they're going to learn about the Lord. And they're really wonderful. And um, not only that, but, but a huge component of the sustainable development they do is they sit down and they meet with the, the leadership. And they, the church leadership, the local leadership, and they have them come up with their n- a list of needs. Things that they need to move forward to eliminate poverty, to eliminate disease. And... Um, and basically how that works is then they will kind of most of the communities that are in at least the Dominican Republic are agricultural and um Th- and they really have very rudimentary ways of growing crops. And they, they benefit so much from just some education. So they'll have experts come in and tell them how they can improve the yields of their crops. Very practical things. And so if I- it's very unique. It depends on what the needs are that they d- identify. They take ownership of those goals and objectives. And all Food for the Hungry does is they step alongside them and walk with them to help them, to learn how to problem solve, to come together. The farmers will even they'll f- they pull their money, and so instead of using oxen to plow a field, they will all pull their money, and they'll be able to uh, buy some piece of equipment to do that. They'll loor- work on getting their crops to the market, but maybe that means improving the roads, or maybe it means you know making getting together and building an irrigation ditch. So they'll walk alongside with them, but they won't create a sense of dependence. So um, that's that's really the type of development that you want to be involved in is something that's going to have a long-term generational impact. Now, um, Dominican Republic. If you if you don't know about it, it's d- down uh, right off the coast of Florida, about 90 miles. It's it's uh, an island, and it's inhabited by two countries: Haiti on the one side, and the Dominican Republic on the other. And most of the villages that are really in extreme poverty are way on the border of Haiti. Um, it's a Spanish-speaking country, and um, so that that provo- It just uh, makes it unique and really special because the culture is so different, and it's really exciting to see. And visit. So just an example, all of this information is publicly available. It's just on their website. I just kind of summarized it for you all. But this is what they've been able to accomplish in about one year, working with the number of communities that have been sponsored and adopted. And um, I'm not going to read them all to you, but you can see that they work to just do very basic things like provide clean water. Um, they do construction projects of schools. They work on schools and community centers. They, um, they meet immediate needs, like if the children in the village are so malnourished because of, of rampant parasite disease, they will attack that first because they know that then they can have the children to you know, survive to the age of five. They also really encourage um, partnering with the schools, trying to get killed kids to go to school because it's really hard. Uh, they have a, a lot of pressure to be out there working in the fields with their parents, but then that just repeats the cycle of poverty. So they, they talk with parents and they encourage kids and they provide them with resources so that they can stay in school. Um, these are actual pictures of, of from our, our trip. And um, the neat thing, too, is they even, they even train um, pastors. So, a lot of pastors who've not had formal education, they help to give them a really good, strong biblical education so they can, again, pass it along and, and nurture their community spiritually. Um, when you go as a team down there, it is just really wonderful. You'll just have a blast. We had a great time, we had a team of about 20. And um, the projects that the community that we adopted had chosen were building latrines. And each family, there's there's no running water, reliable running water. You'll be lucky, you know, you go out to turn on the spigot, and it's like, okay, praise God, the water came. And the same thing with electricity. It's kind of sporadic, on and off again. Um. But uh, a a big need is there's no indoor plumbing, and so diseases really run rampant. So one of those things that immediately has an impact on health is when families can have a latrine. But you don't come there and do it for them. They have to dig the hole, and you come as a team, and you will partner alongside of them to help them to do that. And then they have ownership. That's theirs. They'll maintain it. Yeah, Yeah, it it becomes something that they, they understand the blessing of that. And um, another thing you'll do while you're there is you'll get to work with these kids. Um, in the schools there, it's not like here where they go to school and they spend eight hours a day. You know, you're working, you come home, your kids come home. No. They they have schools that have to do double shifts. There are so many children, and the resources are so few, that they'll have a bunch of kids that'll go in the morning shift, and then the other half of the village children will go in the, I- in the afternoon. And the rest of the time, the kids are just on their own, because their parents are working in the fields. There's no child care no daycare, nothing like that. So when you come, um, these children, we, we were about the third team that went there. So these children knew exactly what to expect. When we came, we got on the bus, we, we arrived in this rickety little bus at 1.30 in the morning. The kids had dressed up, gotten out of bed, dressed up in their best Sunday clothes. They came and made a, met us with this huge smiles. They were so excited to see us because they knew that when a team comes, they're going to be loved on. They're going to get somebody who pays attention to them who does fun games, teaches them about Jesus, sings songs. So that's another really cool thing that you get to do is you just get to meet these kids, and they are awesome. In addition to that, if you happen to sponsor a child, you'll have an opportunity to meet with that child, meet their family, hang out with them, see what life is really like for them. And it is um, really an incredible experience. And then you'll get to see what types of projects that the village has decided to take on to improve their well-being over a period of 10 years. So are you ready? Are you ready for an adventure? (laughs) You know, Probably one of the neatest things is that when you get out of your own culture, your own country, and you can't even depend on your own language, you are really just naked before the Lord. You are totally out of your comfort zone, and there's something very special about being in that place because God will meet you there, and that's where I think he transforms us. He teaches us. We learn so much. We go there to try to give, and we go there to try to bless, but we come back transformed, like Francisco said. It it is just beyond words. So um, our son Joshua, who's 12, come on up here, Josh. uh, He prepared a little... talk about. I asked him so Josh could you share what it meant to you? And I'm um, actually we've been on two missions trips as a family. One our first ones to Mexico in 2008 and then to the Dominican Republic in 2010. So he's going to share with you.
3: When I first went to a mi- on a missions trip in 2008 to Mexico, I fully realized how privileged and I was. My world was just all delusions were dispelled. The total poverty that these people lived with was unbelievable. It was just unbelievable. But through the pieces of my world I entered a new chapter, a new world in my opened in my life. It was one of ministry and love. But if you're new to the field, then let me tell you right now from personal experience, God will reopen your world, your beliefs about everything So you can fully enter what he wants for you. But you have to be all in. You cannot hold back on anyone in this mission ship. You just have to be all in. But I realized these people lived with, I could not help but going all in. But when you're there, and even when you come back, you change. Because God has shown you how lucky you are. And you have experienced the simple love of children, which could be love in its purest form. So if you're going, prepare to be rebuilt as a new creation in God because the love you feel is simply irresistible. In closing, I only have a few words for you even if you're not go- if you, even if you don't go. Be the kingdom of God and follow Jesus wherever you go and amazing things will happen.
1: Thank you again for uh, indulging us and letting us share with you, um, Francisco. You're going to close. We're just
2: closing prayer. Father, we just thank you because you took the most amazing mission trip. Y- you were enthroned in heaven, yet you decided, as Paul writes, you you said that you actually emptied yourself. You divested yourself of all your 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 royal uh, qualities to enter into this world. Yeah, and you did it in the form of a servant. So we see you, and we want to follow your example. Uh, we want to love those that need you like you actually love them. So we, we, we invoke the presence of the Spirit in our hearts. We want to meet you as well. As we go and as we minister to those who are close to us and perhaps even farther from us, we want to meet you. We want you to be part of what we do. We invite you to do that. So now we actually... We actually call you that you speak to our hearts about how we are to be involved. Let it not be our promptings or a sense of guilt or a sense of ought to do this, but that it might be your spirit talking to each one of our hearts. We call you, we invoke you, we invite you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes. Good.
0: I'm, I'm going to have the worship team come back in just a minute. Not quite yet. I don't want to share a couple of things you know one of the uh, one of the other you know fun experiences that we had was there is that, that Francisco and I we got to be roommates one of the nights and and I thought it was a little bit odd because when when it, it was at this little motel way out in the in the on the coast of the border of Haiti and that I thought it was odd that he slept with his head at the foot of the bed you know so I thought, you know, maybe this is part of the Latin culture that I'm just not familiar with, you know, and, and uh, so I didn't say anything, and, you know, I slept in the bed the normal way, and uh, at the head of the bed with my head, and they had these huge, you know, draperies that kind of hung uh, from the ceiling as kind of a decorative uh, element to, to the room, and it draped, you know, like it would around a window, but it went around around the bed, and so... And the next morning, Francisco and I were talking, and, and, uh, and I said, uh, so tell me about this whole thing about sleeping backwards in the bed. And he says, well, it's because, you know, there's a lot of tarantulas in the Dominican Republic. And I said, yeah, I know that. And he said, well, they, you see these drapes right here? The tarantulas will get inside these motels, and they like to nest up in that drapery. And so sometimes in the night, they'll drop down, and I would just rather, you know, receive them on my feet instead of my face. So you know what I'm thinking, right? Right? So, so tell me again why you didn't tell me that last night? Before we were going to sleep, right? So, so I didn't speak to him for the rest of the day. No, I'm just kidding. Because I know what he's thinking, right? I hope a tarantula falls on him, right? That would just complete his experience here in, in the DR. So I, I'm sharing that story because it's a great example of what Food for the Hungry doesn't do. Food, food for the Hungry comes in with the community and gives them the information and the training that they need to do things differently to live better. It's power. They, they pull. We got to see it happen. We went to lots of different communities. We went to a community where they had been active for years. We went to a community where they had only been active for a, sh- a short time. We went to a community that they were exploring the possibility of getting involved there. And they pull the leaders of that community together. And they help those leaders begin to inventory the training and the skills that they have in their own community. Because every community is different. And so the plan that they put together is unique for that particular village. And then the soil quality might be different in different places. They have to grow different kinds of crops in different kinds of places. So Food for the Hungry comes in and they put together a unique plan for that particular village and they commit to them for the next 10 years. And over 10 years, by the time they get to that end of that decade, that village has reached a a place of self-sufficiency where they are actually able to leave and go to another neighborhood. It's an amazing journey that they do. The child sponsorships that I'm going to talk about in just a minute, you you develop a personal relationship with a child, you develop a financial relationship with the community. And so there's lots of child sponsorship organizations out there, but only the children that are sponsored get the benefit of the program. For here, as a church, we're going to make a commitment to adopt a community in the Dominican Republic. And then all of our money, the sponsorships that we're going to each do individually as families, that goes into a pool of money that then the Food for the Hungry staff uses to fund all the initiatives in that neighborhood. So everybody in the whole community benefits from this adoption that we're going to do as a neighborhood. So we're going to sponsor children as families. And then as a church, we're going to sponsor a community. And we're going to walk on this journey with this community over the next 10 years. So we're going to take trips there. So we're going to be able to see this one neighborhood transform through our journey and our walk together. And I'm telling you, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Amazing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So we started last night with 50 of these. How great is that? 50 of these, two huge tables at the Newport News campus uh, with, with 25 on each table. And so part of the commitment to become a, a partnering church, which is what we're going to do, is that you have to make a you have to be able to do 50 sponsorships because that crosses the threshold of the startup monies that they need to begin their work. And so I told him, I said, hey, we're a smaller church. We're younger. I don't know if we can do 50. We, we looked for churches, you know, that would partner with us. You know, would you go on half? And we couldn't find anybody that was interested. So we said, hey, we're, we'll just see what happens, right? I said, I can't make you any promises talking with the staff at Food for the Hungry, but I said, we're going we're gonna to cast the vision for it, and we'll see, and, and you can see, it went pretty well last night, Are you with me? There's, there's no reason why these nine shouldn't disappear this morning, and that we're going to have to call Food for the Hungry, and they're going to have to send us some more, for the people that aren't here today, for the people that weren't here last night, and um, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to change your world, just, just like a 12-year-old shared, come on, that's going to be your story. So I'm on day 40 of my, of my fast, day 40, and uh, I know, so I'm staying up till 12.01 so I can have a bowl of soup, right, tonight and some saltine crackers, and, and, and so you ever talk to people that talk about these long fasts that they've, they've been on, and they say, you know what, just at some point you just stop getting hungry, you ever heard somebody say that? They are liars, they just, people lie, people lie, <laughs> the, the pain of hunger goes away, but I've been hungry, I mean really hungry, every day for, for 40 days but because I've chosen to be hungry. At any point on this journey, right, I could have gone to the pantry and got something to eat. At any, at any point in this fast, I could have, could have gone to the, the drive-thru of Chick-fil-A. Or as Francisco says, chick fila right? That's the Puerto Rican, chick fila Love it. I could have gone through the drive-thru, right, and got at any point. So my hunger has been self-imposed. These, these, these nine kids right here, it's not self-imposed for them. They spend every day of their life hungry. And there's nothing that they can do to change that. But there's a lot that you and I can do to change that. This is the child that we got last night. His name is Christian. This is the child that we're going to sponsor as a, as, as a family. And uh, He doesn't know who we are, and, and, and we don't know who he is, but we're going to change that. And we're not going to change it just for him as a person. We're going to change it for them as an entire community. We're going to reach a generation, and we're going to change a country. We can't change the whole world as a church, right? We can't do that. People like to talk about that. We're not going to change the world. But we can change this one neighborhood in this one country. And if every church in the world did that, then we really could change the world. Stand with me as we worship. Father, we thank you that uh, that it might seem like $32 a month is, is going to be a lot, but we know, God, that that you're going to make a way. If we take a step of faith, you're going to make a way for us to be able to do that. For some families, God, we know that are here that that, that $32 a month might be too much and, and that you're going to help them partner with the neighbor and they're going to do it together. That somebody here, can Father, can, can, can take one of those sponsorships and they're going to have lunch with somebody and say, hey, let's do this together and share it. In many ways, God, we're all standing In front of the window like we were at that cafe in the Dominican Republic and we're looking over our shoulder and we're wondering what you're saying to us and what we know God is that right now you're nodding your head yes to everybody who's asking the question is this something that I should do father as Francisco said we're gonna find you when we go on this journey and there is a smile that comes to our face and a joy that comes to our heart where we think of the moments that we're going to share with you as we step out to sacrifice and to love others in a way that they would otherwise go without. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody sit together. Amen. As we worship, this is what I'm going to ask you. This is what we did last night. It was powerful.